0: Hello, and welcome to Film Chat, a podcast all about Sam Foster, a former prosecutor who now owns a security firm that specialises in testing maximum security prisons. He does this by posing as an actual criminal, allowing himself to be captured, and then escaping purely using his wits from the institution he's incarcerated in. However, one day this obviously foolproof working method goes awry when... Posing as a criminal, he is drugged, and the failsafe homing beacon he has inside him is somehow removed, oh, no. meaning his team doesn't know where he is. He wakes up to find himself in a prison of glass and steel located, well, he doesn't know where it's located. He just woke up there. But, with the help of fellow inmate, Danny Moran, he starts to plan his escape. Is what I would be saying... This was a pod adaptation of the 2013 classic film *Escape Plan*, starring Sylvester Stallone and Arnold Schwarzenegger. This is in fact just a podcast where we talk about and review films. I'm Danny Moran, and joining me is a man who punches like a vegetarian, but knows that steel rivets expand when exposed to heat. I do know that. Sam Foster.
1: Uh, hello. I think we should watch that movie, as it sounds banging. Epic. It's got a great. It's got a great premise and great stars. And great reviews. So this week, Danny and I are going to be reviewing The Mummy, the Tom Cruise-starring flagship action movie, which launches a new sprawling franchise called The Dark Universe. Um, Unfortunately, The Mummy made about 5p at the box office and is absolutely shit. So whether that universe will take off is an open question at this point. Plus, Danny finds out what happens when you sit down a bunch of comedians and ask them, what's the deal with airplane peanuts? He tells all. In his review of the documentary Dying Laughing. We also discuss Empire Magazine's 100 Greatest Films of All Time list, a travesty of a list, as it does not include the film King Arthur, Legend of the Sword, the greatest film of all time. Uh, we talk about the new Black Panther trailer, and we also go over some snippets from Joss Whedon's surprisingly horny Wonder Woman script. All that should leave just enough time for me to launch Film Chat's own multi-film epic franchise universe, entitled The Chat Universe which debuts with a flagship blockbuster called Sam Foster, a $190 million film about myself. I play a daring young scamp who fights his way from the bottom to the top, survives explosions, and develops superpowers and stuff. Uh, Mainly it exists to set up the sequel, Danny Moran, which is basically the same thing, but this one cost $500 million to make, and there's about $1.5 billion just on the marketing. It's going to be a serious cultural moment. It's going to be big in China where 75% of the film is set. So, uh, so look forward to that. Had to, had to had to scrape scrape a few coins together to pay for it, but I think it's going to be worth it. Films,
0: films, films,
1: films, 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 films. Lots of films, 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 films. these good films, bad films, fun films, sad films. Films we love, weird films, Lars one, Trier films. Old films, new films, some John Star Peter Fitch Films by David Lynch Films,
0: short films, six hours long We've got films up to your gills With films, 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 movies Are you feeling comfortable? Film chat has begun
1: So Danny, I'm really excited because we have a new person who wrote into us What? Andy Poole. He's not a
0: blood relative.
1: Not a blood relative. Not. He doesn't owe us a favour. He's not <laughs> someone whose life we've saved. We haven't paid him. Uh, I didn't donate. Donated him no organs. I didn't grow up uh, attending the same school as him. So he's joined a really elite tier of film chat listeners. So welcome, Andy. Uh, he writes in to say hi, guys. Friends with Georgia and fan of the podcast. Something to discuss in the next one. And the something in question is. Empire Magazine's list of the 100 greatest films of all time. All time. They've never done one of these lists. Oh, no, wait, they have. They do them constantly. <laughs> so this is less of a definitive new list. It's more of an updating, I guess, of their previous ones. Sure. They write to their listeners, and they get them to uh, send in their choices. Uh, Andy says, I saw La La Land is at, is at 62 on the list. How does that make you both feel? He's been listening. He's definitely been listening to the podcast. Angry, angry, Andy. <laughs> uh, it's got a couple of Chazelles on there
0: that and whiplash. whiplash
1: is on there as well so some there's some chazelle fans in empire's uh readership but let's be honest it's a dying medium it's like it's on the way out yeah so rather than i think we should view this more as a list of like what has beens think of the best films you know what i mean yeah it's like a testament to just the struggling for relevance of the entirety of print media. Yeah,
0: this is a Blair Blairite list.
1: This is one. <laughs> We've just uh, witnessed the collapse of neoliberalism in the form of the election result, and that ties in perfectly to this list of the 100 gross films. So, shall I just do a quick rundown of yeah. the top ten? The top ten are, from ten down to one, The Fellowship of the Ring, A New Hope, Star Wars A New Hope, Jaws, Raiders of the Lost Ark, Goodfellas, Pulp Fiction, Shawshank Redemption, The Dark Knight, Empire Strikes Back, and The Godfather at number one. Bang in there. Great film. It's got all the good stuff in it.
0: Very, very pale and male list.
1: Yeah, Um, it's a very unadventurous list, you know. I mean, I do think in all seriousness that, like, I don't think Empire has a single reader who's younger than its staff. You know, yeah, it's true. All these kind of like thirty-five year olds, and they're just getting older. That's my, that's yeah, my. Yeah, <laughs> something that occurred
0: to me is because the um, highest-rated Marvel film, I think there's three entries, but the one that ranked the highest was Guardians of the Galaxy number thirty-four, which is not the thirty-fourth best film ever made. I would say. I
1: would agree with that.
0: But it struck me that that is the film that if Empire Magazine was a person would make. Yeah, completely. It's like a Marvel film which is half Star Wars, half. Rage of the Lost Ark, seeped in 80s nostalgia, it's like it's born from their id. Yeah, that's completely They must have true. been, like, I'm surprised they didn't get five stars when it came out, <laughs> and they were, like, promoting it as the greatest one ever made by any human ever, because it's completely in their sort of wheelhouse. All yeah. All the writers are kind of like kids of the 80s, and the whole Spielberg, Amblin, Star Wars thing is kind of the, uh, the core... Yeah, like every films of which everything is judged by.
1: Yeah, I don't buy that much, but um, I imagine they're still doing like every five issues. It's like a look back at the making of like yeah, (laughs) whatever. Gremlins. Gremlins or something. Yeah, yeah. It's a relatively conservative list. I would say that maybe the like the Dark Knight being so high up is maybe slightly surprising. I know that it's got a lot of staying power, but number three, that's very high up.
0: Well, you know, maybe the Dark Knight is kind of like to people, maybe even slightly younger to us like is maybe what lord of the rings is for someone like 5 years younger than us maybe but that's a bit grim I mean? isn't
1: it if that's your lord of the rings it's like this like horrible film about a terrorist brutally murdering people yeah that's a pretty grim well, thing to be your younger generation you that's know? your formative movie
0: <laughs> yeah i mean like empires is a very popular magazine which focuses on blockbusters and stuff so i think maybe the list is just more a uh, indication of how kind of pale and male just mainstream films are yeah I mean, like, Amelie made it to 98, which is almost, like, surprising. It even made the list. Yeah, yeah. Like, they're, like, the only films which aren't blockbusters are ones that are hugely awards recognized or just considered classics in their own right, like Singing in the Rain or uh, I don't know what else is on there. Other films of that ilk. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I think that's true. It's a peculiarly unedifying thing to read. Because I think what you get with these kinds of lists is a sort of reverse wisdom of crowds effect. <laughs> when you compile everyone's taste together, you just get the blandest flavor.
0: Yeah, yeah. But to answer your question, Andy, we are angry and upset that La Land would have gotten in there. And it just proves that people are idiots and the electorate can't be trusted. Or can they? <laughs> Obviously yeah. this result was compiled before the general election. If we so, had
1: if we had that, if we uh, did this poll again after the general election, Lola Land is not gonna be on there, right? We yeah. were in a new era, a new, more hopeful and yeah. generally much improved world and we're gonna see a much improved list of movies. But Next La- time they actually, do this.
0: Fuck, you know, Lola Land is all about this new Labour idea of that you have to give up your dreams to for, for pragmatism. Yeah. Electability. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is bullshit. You can have it both ways. You can be elected and also not cave on your principles. Yeah, that's absolutely true. So La La Land is fucking Blairite for total melts.
1: Chazelle needs to take in what happened on June 8th.
0: He needs, he to, needs, grow to, up. He
1: needs to absorb the political revolution we've seen unfold before our eyes. And he needs remake, to get real. And remake remake La, La, Land. La La Land. Make it a proper fucking film. Resubmit it to the Academy Awards. Maybe have a chance of fucking winning this time. Not by accident, but actually correctly win in reality, with a film with a much more heartwarming and human message and not this horribly commodified vision of art as financial success.
0: So, you know, for the many, not the few, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs>
1: exactly. Thank, thanks. That's what I've been waiting to hear someone say that about Chazelle. So I really appreciate it. Superhero films announced, passing rumours leaking out. M. Not film is hated, Paul Thomas Anderson's is fated, Meryl Streep Soska dipped, Matt Damon's in a viral vid, Michael Bay's made a mint.
0: That's the news that's fit to print. One of the best films of last year.
1: Best one of <laughs> just last year? Best films of the decade. Where
0: why where wasn't it on this list? The real question about the Empire Top 100 is where was X-Men Apocalypse? Where was X-Men Apocalypse? One of the best films ever. So good. Which is a bad film, which I kinda liked. Uh, I can't defend it as a good film, and if you throw any criticism at it, I would, wouldn't be able to argue with you. Yeah, I didn't but like But I it. kind of enjoyed the stupidity of it. I feel like, I feel about X-Men Apocalypse the way you <laughs> feel about Guardians of the Galaxy. If, like, well. our opinions are reversed, then that, I don't know.
1: Yeah, maybe, maybe well, maybe, like, Dogs are Strange or something, I don't know. Sure. I didn't, but, yeah.
0: Anyway, that was, like, capping the prequel trilogy, and I think everyone's contract had expired, and they were like, were they going to make a new one, or has everyone become too expensive? But apparently they are still affordable. 20th Century Fox has signed on Jennifer Lawrence, Michael Fasben, James McAvoy to reprise their roles of Mystique, Professor X and Magneto respectively. And uh, they're going to be in the next X-Men film, which apparently will also feature returning cast members Nicholas Holt, Alexander Shipp, Sophie Turner, Ty Sheridan and Cody Ship Shipp- McPhee? <laughs>
1: Cody shit McPhee. That's what I call him. That's what I call him. him. Absolute rubbish in that
0: film. Oh, did you see the road? Absolutely shit. <laughs> um, <laughs> I beg your pardon, Cody. Cody Smith McPhee. <laughs> quality quality saying... film that. Quality film the road. Well, but Cody. Cody
1: shit McPhee. Know what I'm saying?
0: <laughs> I'm so sorry, Cody. Uh, he's he's back. Well, Bryson and Nightcrawler and also. Jessica Chastain is joined the cast Chastain in a role we don't know in Miss
1: the, Miss Sloane herself Miss Sloane
0: herself <laughs> in the film entitled X-Men Dark Phoenix which is going to be directed by Simon Kinberg who wrote the previous two X-Men he's films he's stepping in
1: front of the camera he's sick of that producer shit he's
0: stepping in front of the camera he's going to be behind it but he's going to be in the film as well <laughs> <laughs> Hitchcock cameo he's going to introduce the film He's gonna appear every twenty minutes to explain the plot. <laughs> yeah, I mean
1: he needs to he does need to be reminded what the role of the director is. But... <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um but yeah.
0: But this is one of the wee- weirder franchises, actually. Bizarre franchise. Because especially the whole reason of the prequels happening is that they had the whole Wolverine films happening in the present day. So they yeah. couldn't step on the toes of that. While that was going on, I was there to prequelise it. So X-Men First Class, the first prequel film, was set in 1962. The sequel, X-Men Days of Future Past, is set in 1973. And uh, the third one, most recently, is X-Men Apocalypse, was set in 1983. So they jump a decade. So it was the next one to be in 1993 well, they were... in this alternate timeline, which yeah. has been so messed with.
1: They weren't muting that it would be set in the 90s. That was the... I remember that being part of the discussion. They're like, well, obviously, after X-Men Apocalypse, the next film has to be set 10 years later. That's yeah. rendering the previous film ancient history. am um, the best way to make a sequel.
0: I looked up some facts by 1993. Uh, oh shit,
1: man! You're so prepared for these podcasts. Well, I looked up
0: like three facts.
1: Three facts. All right, good. Uh, four in fact. Okay.
0: Four facts because the first prequel x First Class was kind of set around the Cuban Missile Crisis. So yeah, I'm thinking maybe it'll tie into actual events. So in 1983, Bill Clinton was sworn in as president.
1: Oh yeah, that's going to be
0: it. Uh, David Koresh and the Waco siege that was going on. Mm-hmm. Probably, probably <laughs> featured probably, Ma-
1: Magneto. Probably was responsible for that.
0: Yep, and also Jurassic Park came out. <laughs> well, wait, in um,
1: X-Men Apocalypse, did not they go to the movies? They, they went to see Return of the Jedi. They went to see Return and of the like, Jedi. And third, like ones always, or, yeah.
0: third one sucks, a bit like this movie. Yeah. And also um, the Super Mario Bros. movie came out. <laughs> <laughs> so so if those four facts don't somehow yeah. form the basis of the plot, I don't know what they're well, thinking. Well, it's
1: obvious what the plot's going to be. Ross Kemp is going to be in it as Bob Hoskins. And they'll have to go on the set of uh, the Super Mario Brothers movie to save his life because Magneto is trying to merge him.
0: Well, the title seems to reference Dark Phoenix, which already happened in X-Men The Last Stand, which I guess is ancient history to some people because it's 2006. Yeah. and In in studio terms, that's, you know, that's like the distant past.
1: But it's also the future in the timeline of these movies, which are at least (laughs) normally set in the same kind of continuum. Right, yeah, because exactly. they share actors and stuff.
0: But isn't it something like, so uh, Sophie Turner, who's taken on the role of Dr. Jean Grey. Yeah. Well, I guess she's just, she hasn't got a PhD yet, so training. Just, just Jean. So, yeah, Jean Grey BA-ons. Yeah. <laughs> she is so powerful at one point, she turns evil. She turns evil. She turns. She's the phoenix, and so she turns a bit dark. Well, dark for phoenix, anybody
1: who's will. been following her, uh, the path of her character in Game of Thrones, we've seen her go from a sort of sprightly youngster... Into dark sensor. ...to turn into Dark
0: Dark, dark Sensor. sensor.
1: Yeah, um, as I little, your mom, little Finger might, now, so might gonna, describe her. <laughs> yeah, so she's become, she's gone from Sansa to Dark Sansa, and, and they know that she can go dark. They've seen it. They've so seen it, now they can make her go Dark Phoenix. Yeah. Uh, it is true, though. It's a bit odd. I mean, maybe one of the angles they could take is that I believe that the comic book, I'm not an expert on these matters, but the sort of comic book Dark Phoenix storyline I think is quite um, alien yeah. involved. There's like, a race of aliens who who start to uh who start to get into it it's quite galactic cool uh say so maybe they'll go down that route since maybe it'll be like here's a guess do you think this will be like the guardians of the galaxy of the x-men franchise maybe
0: oh right
1: because they they want to uh i mean they've done the 80s now but they can have a kind of thing which feels like a nostalgic decade plus space right so yes. that might be one way to go um, but I do think that there's like an intrinsic issue with basically about five years of real time has passed, but your movie will be set forty years after the first one. Like,
0: how old are these people supposed to be? How
1: Fucking old are they supposed uh, to be? Like, Nicholas Holt.
0: So like thirty years has passed in the timeline, but <laughs> he's aged like he's like twenty in the uh, first movie. Yeah, yeah. It's maybe. not 40. No, no, no. Wait, it's sixty-three to ninety-three. Right? Ninety-three. So it's assuming it's... it's in the yeah 90s. thirty years, thirty years. Yeah. So like Nicholas Holt was like. Twenty in the first movie, it's supposed to be fifty now.
1: Yeah, what are they going to do? It's going to be this bizarre. I mean, I know that like studios are obsessed with having actors play different ages to what they actually are, but like, what is it just going to be? Everyone's covered in like makeup to make them really fucking old in the in the in X Men Apocalypse? They basically make no effort at all. Like, it's just as though that like if you're a mutant, you basically don't age.
0: Yeah,
1: I don't know. Is anybody looking forward to this film? I guess Apocalypse like, made enough money. Macavoy's it's one of the most weirdly. It's one of the most like sort of strangely like sort of lacking in investment franchises, you know, like it doesn't feel like there's much kind of drive behind them. I mean yeah, the yeah. DC films are like awful, but they feel like there's loads of people who are trying to create a, uh, you know, a vision or like a specific aesthetic or
0: Yeah, yeah. That's you know indie.
1: there's some I mean they're they're generally just awful people doing it, but uh it feels at least like it's its own thing. Whereas this uh the X Men movies don't at all. Like they're just such a sort of weird mishmash of confusing timelines yeah and, and, the, and I think we, we talked about this a bit in our review of X-Men Apocalypse but like they just don't, none of these people really inhabit their roles except for Hugh Jackman basically and he probably won't be back <laughs> that's true, he's probably done with that so like the others like it just looks like they're sort of playing dress up Um, yes, the main Cody characters shit, especially that Cody shit McPhee awful that guy's a disgrace he should be driven out of Hollywood
0: plushcare.com slash weight loss
1: say so, more more fun comic book chat love comic books My am total total, total comic nork uh, I was trying to say nerd <laughs> and dork at the same time <laughs> I'm quite the nork so the trailer for the new Black Panther movie dropped recently, one of the most highly anticipated comic book films that's upcoming, with a very exciting set of actors and and director in the form of uh, Ryan Coogler. He recently directed that um, uh, Rocky film called Creed. (laughs) (laughs) A Rocky film called The Black Maddle Punches. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, directed Creed um, and Fruitvale Station before that. And he's assembled basically a who's who of every young up and coming black actor in Hollywood to all star in the same film. And I thought the trailer was really good. It's one of the most kind of um, impactful comic book trailers that's uh, appeared recently in that, you know, unlike something like Guardians 2 or whatever, this one feels like. You know, genuinely has a chance to stand out from the pack and feel like a, a new and fresh movie. And I think part of the the reason for that is the the setting of Black Panther, which is the same as is in the comic book history, is kind of cool in that it's about a super technologically advanced African nation, and it's like a sci-fi perspective on African culture. So it's cool that it's a comic book movie that has an all-black cast, which we had not seen before, and that's very refreshing. And also it's a vision of African society, which is not based around poverty or like pirates or something. You know what I mean? Or war or like some kind of deprivation and misery. But that it's more like a it looks to be uh, if it it kind of struck me, the trailer that seemed like it was striking a kind of a similar tone to the recent comic book series written by Tanahisi Coates in which it's, like, an exploration of the nature of power, basically, and how there's a line in the trailer where someone says it's hard for a good man to be king, and there's probably some interesting dramatic ground to be explored, basically, in the idea of, like, uh, if you have an actual monarchical system in your society, how can a good person, how can you have a superhero who's also the, uh, you know, basically the dictator um, and the ruler of a nation, yeah, yeah. and the bad guys are the kind of insurgents but because that system is so undemocratic yeah. that if you're fighting against it, you have an inherent legitimacy.
0: the bad guy's Corbin
1: the bad guy's Corbin interesting <laughs> take played by Andy Circus um, mocapping mocapping. he's doing a South African one-armed Corbin performance It's, it's pretty incredible. Um, but yeah, what did you what did you make of it Dan? Yeah. given that this is my you know I am the resident, resident uh, Marvel nerd. Dick sucker on the podcast say so what what did, what you, did you think of like?
0: that sweet Marvel Dick. <laughs> Yeah, no, I uh, I agree. I liked how the trailer began with like two incredibly boring white guys. Yeah. Which is Andy Serkis and Martin Freeman. It's like that scene from The Hobbit, but they're just dressed normally. <laughs> <laughs> and uh and the, then, the iconic
1: uh, they're just giving each other riddles. Yeah. Yeah.
0: <laughs> but then I was like, this is what is like this is the blank this is the blank perfect trailer I'm watching? And then some run the jewels kicked in. Yeah. And every awesome blank actual last five years in this same movie. Yeah, I mean, for all my reservations about comic book movies in general it's just cool that we've run out of a list comic book movies or comic book characters so they just have to out of necessity branch out to these more interesting you know and just a a huge blockbuster with a predominantly black cast that is a first yeah and that is a far more interesting prospect than I don't know what does come Suicide Squad two or Gotham City Sirens or something. I don't know. Yeah,
1: it's at least a break from the movies about like white guys finding themselves.
0: Yeah, and Ryan Coogler seems like a real talent, and I hope that sort of post Age of Ultron, they've sort of given their directors a bit more leeway. The Marvel team, you know, they can't control it too much. We just got to let you know hire these people and let them have a free reign.
1: Yeah, let's hope so. And I think that there's something cool in the prospect of a uh, a movie about like a powerful black character where like. The circumstances that he is also in are just also black people rather than these movies, which sort of have a progressive stance, but tend to be about um, like either an ethnic minority or like a woman kind of fighting against a world of the other thing. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. like yeah, Wonder Woman is other except for the beginning of the movie is just like all about her fighting a bunch of men. And this is more like Wonder Woman, but if it was just set entirely on the island which would have probably been better. (laughs) Absolutely. So yeah, so I'm sort of like, I mean, I was kind of optimistic for it beforehand just because of the names that were attached to it and because Black Panther is itself quite a cool property, I think. But the trailer was encouraging. And I like the fact that they had Ron the Jewels on it. Yeah. Uh, Because it's a cool band. I hope
0: they came in the film.
1: Oh man, that'd be awesome. LP is the evil guy. LP LP is is, like the third guy in that boring scene at the beginning. (laughs) Like the one other white character. He's like bringing the tea in or something like that. And now for Danny to
0: review a film he recently saw. Was it staggeringly brilliant? Was it ask and poor? How did Danny form a judgment? We're about to hear his thoughts. If he does a rubbish job, then Sam will
1: tell
0: him off. Dying Laughing. This is a documentary directed by Lloyd Stanton and Paul Too Good. <laughs> what an amusing name. <laughs> I, well, I found it quite funny. I'm Too Good for this. And the uh, documentary... And the documentary is comprised almost solely of talking interviews with either really famous or very recognizable stand-up comedians. And they basically get asked the same questions about stand-up comedy and their answers are edited together uh, to form a sort of wisdom of the crowd's overview of the lifestyle and inner workings of a comedian. Here's a clip of Jerry Seinfeld and Jim Jeffries talking about uh, bad early gigs and rejection.
1: I couldn't even get through what I had planned to do, which was only about five minutes of things. I was so shocked and rocked by the density of the air in the room. And you feel the mood of the room. It's just this cement block. And I just, I just left that night, and I was devastated. There was about six people because it was raining and I just died on my ass. and some guy yelled something like, go back to school or something. It was something really flimsy like that. Anyway, I, in the rain, we drove back and my dad went, yeah, well, you're, uh, you're good at a lot of different things. This is, uh, <laughs> this probably isn't a thing for you, but if you enjoy it as some type of hobby, then, uh, yeah, well, you, you can't hurt really. You know, it could hurt your self-esteem, sure. Rejection's pretty tough. When you're when you're doing it for the first time, you're more vulnerable.
0: Right Brilliant. <laughs> it's
1: my satire of Seinfeld.
0: Um, I didn't really enjoy this film. It felt a bit redundant. And as an example of em- how... emphasis on the dying, <laughs> <laughs> emphasis on the dying. No laugh. <laughs> I felt like it was dying. But I would have called the thing. film "dying." <laughs> <laughs> but as an example of how documentaries more so than any other form of filmmaking has been changed the most by technology and there would have been value in this form of documentary 25 years ago but we now have YouTube and podcasts and the whole premise of the documentary is kind of made redundant by those two forms because you have a series of these interviews of comedians and all making quite similar statements about the craft of comedy and they kind of almost cancel each other out as you were saying this whole wisdom of the crowds thing means they just give quite a sort of generic it kind of blends the whole thing. And they have some really famous comedians. And I would much rather watch an 80-minute interview with just Chris Rock and his career than two minutes of Chris Rock interspliced with 20 comedians I don't know and some other comedians I do know. And when I was watching, it, I was like, who is the audience for this film? Because fans of stand-up comedy... Won't get anything new out of it because I imagine they w- would have already watched comedians and cars getting coffee or listened to the comedian comedians podcast or there's like a million podcasts with comedians on there and people who aren't interested in standup comedy would be completely uninterested in the material and it's the kind of film where it's for it's quite a niche audience it's not like um like you know I don't particularly like sports but I can get invested in a sports movie but there's like really nothing for anybody who's not interested in the subject matter there's nothing to bring to it. And the result of having so many contributors is that everything is kind of given lip service. And the one thing that it does touch upon, which was quite interesting, was the day to day struggle of a comedian, particularly in America, where you're starting out and you're traveling from motel to motel, miles and miles on the open road. And perhaps the only people you speak to all day is a live audience and the kind of weird existential existence of a comedian and the kind of slight psychosis you have to have to be one yeah uh, but that itself was kind of was on the verge of being interesting but then it segued into quite generic uh, discussions of hecklers which is like <laughs> people don't like hecklers they've had some funny heckles one time ago i was drunk it's all i've kind of heard it so i wouldn't obviously again i'll probably turn up on bbc4 pretty soon and if you're interested in that kind of subject matter i would just advise you to watch talking funny which was as hbo one-off little film with Chris Rock, Louis C.K. and Jerry Seinfeld and Ricky Gervais, if you can get past the Ricky Gervais element of it. And that's far more interesting because it's comedians interviewing each other rather than just some guy interviewing a 100 comedians and giving them two sentences each.
1: Yeah, it makes it better if you watch that and you just imagine how they must be feeling about Ricky Gervais. Which is utter contempt.
0: Yeah, in a way, his presence was kind of worth it just for... The kind of contempt they kind of treat his it's questions. Just,
1: it just highlights the fact that they're like professionals and he's just like a dilettante.
0: He's a dilettante. Yeah, so this film, which has got a very limited release, which you probably weren't going to see, don't bother seeing it.
1: This film, you never heard of it you until five minutes ago, and now you can forget about its existence immediately. Sam and Danny both watched a film And they decided to record a few opinions On the things they saw You're gonna hear them in a moment or so There could be angry disagreements But their views are normally quite close let joint review shared between two podcast brothers Do they let one another speak? Or do they interrupt each other? The another is on The guys are in So let the chat begin film real fucking film this is right this is why you get the movies guys the big posters the big marketing Love campaigns it. the big budgets the big stars tom cruise t cruise I've, you've seen his films tommy seabomb you've seen his films but you haven't seen this one because they just came out so uh <laughs> he's in this movie called the mummy universal is trying to uh, launch it's you know it's looking with envy at uh marvel and dc and all these other people like Making big sprawling things where there's like loads of films have their own franchises, all the franchises are connected. Gotta so get all the some same of that universe. franchise dollar. Gotta get some of that franchise dollar. So rather than simply making a film, seeing if it was successful and then announcing a sequel to it, they announce like five fucking films at once, spend all this, they get all these stars lined up, and then they launch their own film and then just sort of hope that it does really well, I guess. Uh, so this is The Mummy. Uh, they're hoping to do like Frankenstein and The Invisible Man and Jacqueline Hyde and all that. The Mummy is the first one. Uh, It's directed by Alex Kurtzman, um, who's only previously made like one like small indie movie. Other than that, it's basically uh, most well known as a writer. Um, And Tom Cruise plays a soldier. He's like a treasure hunting soldier. He's in Iraq. And at the beginning of the movie, he discovers an ancient evil locked Uh inside a sarcophagus in the form of an evil mummy called Arminet. And they're taking Arminet back to uh, back to base to be to be studied by the uh, archaeologists or whatever. Uh, the evil spirits crash the plane, and Tom Cruise somehow does not die in the plane crash. Can't and die. spooky sort of stuff uh, happens from there. Kind of combination of like spooky stuff and uh, fun rompy stuff. And then eventually he encounters Russell Crowe, and Russell Crowe delivers a very exciting speech in which he uses uh, Tom Cruise's character's surname a lot. Here's a clip.
0: Welcome to Prodigium, Mr. Morton. From the latter, Monstrum Vel Prodigium. A warning of monsters. Forgive the state of things, we had very little time to prepare for our guest. And only the information Jennifer provided to go on. In truth, she works for us. It's not an exact science, this business. And the business being... Evil. Mr. Morton, recognize, contain, examine, destroy. She is by far the most ancient we've ever encountered.
1: Yeah, brilliant. So, brilliant. this film was really bad. It looked like it was going to be bad from the trailers and it delivered on, <laughs> on that front. I think basically the chief issue that it has, both as a movie and as a film that they're trying to launch a bunch of other movies with, is that it lacks any kind of character or any kind of...
0: Authorial voice.
1: There's no authorial voice <laughs> at all. It's it's very unclear what sort of blockbuster they're trying to make because there was a previous Mummy movie, obviously, with Brendan Fraser in it and a bunch of sequels to that, uh, and that was made as a kind of Indiana Jones-esque kind of family romp film. And this movie has the aesthetics of a kind of a Christopher Nolan film, almost. It's got that sort of uh, epic, real-life stunts. It's It doesn't have that kind of... Uh, national treasure sheen or whatever it looks more um you know uh i don't know I, I, my, my words are fairly ma- yeah i don't know it's filmmaking. like yeah exactly well the scenes at the beginning look like they could be from a war movie basically the ones doing yeah, raft exactly. and stuff yeah. um and it's that's also mixed with the more sort of pure gothic horror stuff that they have a little bit it was like the mummy spends some time resurrecting uh, people and has a kind of zombie army but it, it doesn't gel there's no no point in the movie do you relax and feel like you know what they're doing And it's a very odd experience because it's obviously cost an insane amount of money and that money is on the screen, but it still kind of seems cheap and drab because it feels so cobbled together. None of, none of the, there's no kind of sense of a wowing set piece or there's no pacing. It's just little moments and you just kind of watch them and you know, the movie ticks along and then it's over and you come out and you just like can barely remember the contents because it was so bland.
0: Absolutely, I think that's exactly it. There's just a vagueness to everything. There's a vagueness to like what the film is trying to achieve, what the tone is, who's directing it, and then even on a plot level, like the character of the 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 mummy, ably played by Sofia Butella. She's doing her best. She's doing her best, but it's like, what are her powers? What does she want? What's the deal she made? Just the sort of basic little bits of logic. Which is surprising, given how much voiceover and uh, prologue so is fucking in the movie. Exposition
1: in this film. It was a real, there's a real um, red flag right at the beginning of the movie, as it starts with just like
0: a, a quote, p- then a prologue, then another prologue, <laughs> and then the yeah. opening scene. Yeah,
1: yeah, it starts with like a quote up on the screen. I think that's usually a, a bad sign. Yeah. And then yeah, and then like it launches immediately into a montage exposition sequence, which just is the sort of thing that usually comes halfway through through a film when they're yeah. kind of explaining what's what you've just seen instead it's right at the beginning and like it's not good if your film which is intending to be the, the launch pad for like 30 other movies and two minutes into the film there's a bit of fake newscasting with a guy talking about crossrail it's like that's not that's not,
0: that's not good guys it's not
1: drawing me into the dark the dark in. universe the dark universe does not contain crossrail in my opinion <laughs> <laughs> it's just it's just not right there's no crossrail on the There's Dark no Universe. There's no crossroad on the Dark Universe. It does not belong there. Um, yeah. So it's, it's almost going out of its way to kind of throw you out of the film. It's a bit like like starting to read a novel, but like the beginning of the novel is the Wikipedia synopsis.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> like,
1: just to kill any sense of atmosphere, like, as promptly as, you know, just before it can start to germinate.
0: Yeah. As also, as we discussed a couple episodes back, Tom Cruise is too old for the role he's playing. It's there's a bit hila- like, hilariously so. There's a bit more yeah. like Russell Crowe is like, you're a young man, Mr. It's like No, he's not. <laughs> he's not. He's older than you. <laughs> <laughs> is he actually? Yeah. He's actually older than him. Yeah, if you're Russell Crowe, I think that, you know, he's, he's a bit heavier. But, he's, a few but years. He's, he's
1: playing this sort of like old professor type and yeah, yeah Tom Cruise is playing this uh, young go-getter.
0: But it's just because his character is like this gung-ho maverick and it's like, but he's old. He's what old. What the fuck he, is he doing he should in the be army?
1: Going his question time or yeah, something? Yeah, he's like fifty. How old is Tom Cruise? He's like fifty something. Fifty-four. Right? Yeah, he's like this sort of like young treasure hunter who's mates with the guy of New Girl. And you're not one of the lads.
0: You're one of the lads' dads. It actually is detrimental to the film because what little character he has is quite unpleasant. And there's a whole plotline about him, like his love interest is like I banged her and I left the next morning. But like. She's 30, man. Like, Yeah, that's unc- that's, that's creepy, you're, man. You're 54. You could be a dad. You literally could be her dad. Yeah. It's weird that you're a love interest. And, like, the whole thing about them being soldiers, they're kind of like soldiers who leave their post to go treasure hunting. And then if they fuck up, like, the U.S. military has to come and rescue them and, like, bomb a bunch of civilians. Yeah, the it's film like- starts with them basically, like
1: deserting their, like, you know, platoon or something and then calling in an airstrike to destroy an ancient (laughs) town.
0: These guys are fucking pricks. Yeah, that's exactly. They're supposed to be these kind of lovable rogues, but they're just like these imperialistic, white, privileged assholes. Is
1: there anything less heroic than calling in an airstrike?
0: (laughs) That's, like, the least heroic thing you could possibly
1: do. Oh, wait, it's okay. I press a button and, like, £50 million is spent on, like, utterly laying waste to this entire area because I can't fight back myself. Like, what the fuck is that? Yeah, I mean, it's just the the whole movie is told with that same kind of weird, vague storytelling where it's not clear. I mean, the fact that his character is so strange, he's like mid-50s guy acting like a like early 20s guy doing some very unclear military stuff that's sort of also an archaeological dig. But like, that is completely jettisoned for the kind of spooky mummy stuff, you know? Then yeah. he gets into, he's been cursed and weird shit is happening to him but you never have any idea who this guy is.
0: Yeah, well, like, you were saying, you made a very good point after we saw oh, the movie. thanks, And A great point Thank about you. how the early mummy movies and similar horror films have this theme of, about white people invading places they shouldn't be and the ancestors, you know, the blood will out.
1: There's a kind of colonial guilt colonial aspect, yeah.
0: So you can sort of see how they're beginning them in being an imperialistic asshole, but that isn't paid off at all. The film isn't about that because it's yeah. about nothing. And, I don't know, there was a couple of moments, was like it leans into horror occasionally, it's a 15, which is also a weird choice for a big blockbuster smash. Cut that, up that's most a, of the that's audience. a
1: classic like, producer idiot move, isn't it? You've yeah. seen Deadpool, now this movie's a 15 as well.
0: Yeah, and I think like when the movie's working as best it can work, is when it kind of leans into the horror moments. Yeah, definitely. But those are sort of a bit, you know, they're sandwiched between some hilarious rompy bits, it's just it's just not good.
1: Yeah, the thing is that I feel like there is room given that the the property is this kind of Hammer Horror type thing or or drawing on this kind of Victorian Gothic tradition and the Brendan Fraser mummy is nothing like that. <laughs> so it feels like there is an obvious route that you could go down where you are basically trying to update that Victorian horror and do it in a kind of blockbuster way. That could be a cool kind of movie, yeah, you know. Absolutely. But I don't know why they didn't just, like, give $40 million to some filmmaker who's got a bit of, like, vision. Because Alex Kurtzman is just nothing. Like,
0: yeah, a bit of a hack.
1: A total hack. And just let them cast someone who's, you know, basically the Iron Man model, you know? (laughs) Where, like, it's someone who's not that well-known and they're not that expensive and they're not going to dominate your film and you can kind of do what you want and you can try to do something that feels a bit fresh. Rather than this, like, bizarre... It's like they're working on a model of films from a previous era where you just put the movie star at the top of the marquee and your movie sells and, you know, and, and the things patently don't work that way anymore. Yeah. Otherwise, Oblivion would be one of the biggest films of all time. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, the whole thing is just seems so misguided in every area of its conception and also not well executed. So it's just fucking weird.
0: Yeah. You know, going into it, it had to convince me it was a good idea. And it didn't even like, it didn't, didn't even try. try.
1: didn't even try. More, more comic books round
0: off the comic book theme of the episode it's been a lot
1: of comic booky. it' been a very comic book episode so I was on Twitter today I'm off on I'm off on, on the Twitter looking at some' been on Twitter right now looking at some of the tweets that they've been recently and some of the tweets that people have been sending have been about Joss Whedon's script for Wonder Woman he was attached to this uh, long gestating project at one point turned in a script seems to have uh, been leaked or released in some way haven't seen the surrounding news story or whatever but a Twitter user underscore Sasha yed. Has been excoriating the script and pouring uh, a whole bunch of scorn on it, calling it bad and rubbish and embarrassing, and in generally insulting it and Joss Whedon um, and despairing at it. Uh, and she says, reading the Whedon Wonder Woman script was never any fun, but after seeing slash crying at actual Wonder Woman, it becomes a viscerally insulting experience. Wow. And I think her basic complaint is that this is a sort of a bit of a guy film or that it's written from a generally not very progressive perspective here's a little bit uh this is whedon's description of one woman. she sounds pretty sexy here's what he says to say she is beautiful is to almost miss the point she is elemental as natural and wild as the luminous flora surrounding her dark hair waterfalls to her shoulders in soft arcs and curls her body is curvaceous but taut as a drawn bow She wears burnished metal bracelets on both wrists, wide and intricately detailed. Her shift is of another era. We'd call it ancient Greek. She is barefoot. Cool. How do you like your women, Danny? I like them curvaceous but taut. Yes, like a... You know when they've
0: got curves, but the curves are very taut. Yes, taut and taut 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 curves. Taut like a drawn bow. only droopy curves. Not taut or taut curves.
1: It's like a doll, you know? Yeah. Sort of hard and unyielding, but very curvaceous.
0: Yes. The additive mm. I use most when describing The Puppy Woman is unyielding.
1: Unyielding. Mm. I, like, I like large breasts that do not move. They're just made of muscle. Giant muscle boobs. That's what gets me going. Uh, yeah, so... But Whedon is a bit of an interesting character, right? Because he is uh, often seen as somebody who's quite good with female characters, rather strong female character absolutely. writer. He's very critical of Jurassic World for being sexist, which it absolutely was. And, you know, obviously Buffy and all that. Uh, he's wrong oh, right Buffy. 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 <laughs> Buffy and all that you know, shit. Buffy and that. He's written he's Buffy and that. But yeah, what do you think, Danny, um, of uh, Whedon and ladies?
0: Well, I don't know if it's just, you know, progressive by the standards of the 90s. And in the landscape of 90s TV, Buffy the Vampire Slayer was his massive breath of fresh air. But at the same time, it is totally his masturbation fantasy, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. And like every woman he writes is kind of Buffy, like kick-ass woman. They they do
1: all seem like like, a lot of his like hero women do seem like something that he would wank over. That's true.
0: But I don't know. It's because like he is somebody who operates within tropes. And he's famous for subverting them but still very much adheres to him when it suits his storytelling. Yeah. So I don't know if all he can do is uh like what was refreshing about Wonder Woman is that it was from the perspective of ignoring a sort of opposing audience. It wasn't like that's right, audience, women can kick ass. It yeah, was like yeah. women kick ass, deal with it. Yeah, yeah. Whereas his one is more the latter, I feel.
1: That's definitely true. Or the former, rather.
0: Or or the correct uh, term there, <laughs> the former. <laughs> uh, um,
1: yeah, no, I think I think that's that's definitely true. I think that, like, uh, maybe the sort of more familiar you become with his stuff, the more you sort of start to cringe at the sort of whedonisms of the the sassy woman. It's a bit like um, that Sorkin thing of proving you're smart just by surrounding yourself by idiots. And it's like, in his movies, he proves how progressive he is by surrounding his women with sexists, you know? Yeah and then they can get slapped down and then it's like, you see? Awesome. Just totally like badass chick. But yeah, I recommend checking this uh, thread out for anyone who's curious because Is it's quite, quite an seeing read.
0: Because it's even, obviously it was 10 years ago but that's still recently, you know? It feels That feels dated for
1: 2007.
0: Yeah. Uh, come on, didn't keep it together. I yeah, like a lot of your work. Yeah, it's a shame yeah. and it also
1: makes you a bit worried about his Batgirl movie. Because yeah. they have given him quite a similar property to this. Here's another funny bit. I re- thoroughly enjoyed this. Um, introduced by uh, the um, Twitter person, Rave um, Sasha Yed. She says, oh, good. I was just wondering if we'd ever get some jaw-dropping racist caricatures in the scripts. Here's the bit of the uh, the script that she quotes here. He throws the girlfriend off and stands. Diana says nothing, just looks at him. Clean. I don't know who the character Clean is. This is a new character. Sounds
0: progressive and, and well-rounded. Clean.
1: I'm not going to use an accent for this. You just, have to, you just have to imagine. <clears throat> I keep hearing my products getting jacked by some crazy strong bitch in a tiara. That couldn't be you, because here you are too scared to speak. It's sad. The way a funeral is sad. You up in my world now. The girlfriend slinks up to him. This is the character. She's just called the girlfriend. It's good. What are you talking to her? I need a little sugar. <laughs> oh Clean. It gets better. Get your skank ass off of me. While I'm doing business,
0: <laughs> incredible. I heard about a woman kicking my ass, but you obviously can't be the woman because women can't. <laughs> women be good. can't
1: can't do fighting.
0: Can't, women can't do fighting. As brutal by you, you.
1: But you've interrupted my getting my sugar from my skank, my skag ass hoe that I have.
0: Wasn't Kenneth Branner going to play that role?
1: I think that Wait. was yeah, that was a Branner role. That was going to be Branner and, uh, and, and Maggie Smith.
0: I'm reprimanding this young tiara uh. <laughs> wearing bitch for stealing my product. She's all up in my world. Yeah. I care not for her.
1: It does like it does make you sort of appreciate the movie more for not going down a lot of these angles. There's another bit that she quotes here uh, where there's a kind of knowing nod to the superhero-ness of it, which I fi- find is a bit passé now. Uh, this is a uh, newscaster character. Reports have come in from all over the city. Descriptions vary, but all describe her as female. Impossibly strong and scantily clad. That's just like. I guess it's kind of like, I guess, Mm. you know, you can sort of see kind of where he's going, but it's. Well, just, you know, that's how Wonder Yeah, exactly, but it's just embarrassing and sexist. In fairness to Joss, you know, this is not a finished piece of work. Maybe it was his, like, he probably was writing it while he was making Age of Ultron or something. He didn't know what he was doing. He was too tired.
0: Making Doll's House or something. Making Doll's
1: House. He He was writing episode four of Doll's House uh yeah but, but like it's an unfinished piece of work so in a sense you like shouldn't judge somebody on like what was a work in progress i imagine he would be upset about that but in another sense uh, he did write it and it is bad so it
0: is bad thank you so much for listening
1: yeah thanks for listening
0: well, next week we'll be reviewing some films i don't know what's out
1: i don't know what we're gonna do but hopefully if the stars align we'll be able to have a film chat first 122 episodes in and we're gonna have an interview uh which we've never done previously uh, but I got some big names lined up Tom Cruise is going to come on uh, explain what the fuck is up with the mummy yeah. he can blame Alex Kurtzman then we're going to get Kurtzman on he's going to blame Tom Cruise and then after that maybe there'll be a special uh, a special guest who will actually be on it so yeah so look forward to that in the meantime have a lovely week please enjoy this new world of promise and hope in which we all live and uh, then Just see you can. then as we can see you then Bye. Bye. Bye.
0: The first day of rehearsal, I'm reading my lines like, yeah, and he said, cut. Can I talk to you for a second? Close the door. Uh-oh. Uh, what the fuck is that? I said, what you mean? I, I-, I knew I was going to have this problem. Uh, listen, all of this shit, you have to be a fucking slave, okay? He's a slave. He's not cool. He's a fucking slave. Right. He doesn't know how to read. You come in with your fucking Louis bag and your fucking Range Rover. And your fucking Jessar. I'm so fucking, you're not Jim Brown. He's a fucking slave. And then, and then, he becomes the hero. But lose that shit. Door swings open, he walks out.